Hi, this is J.P. Mack, and welcome to Liberty Relearn, not just another conservative blog. Okay, here we are in the second week of January, and of course a lot has already happened. Uh, you may recall from the last week, um, first week of January, um, starting at January 6th, it started out bad with the announcement that um, the Republicans were going to lose those two Senate seats in Georgia and it went downhill from there. Basically, we had a bunch of people who were ostensibly Trump supporters uh, force their way into the Capitol. Of course, looking at some of the videotapes, it looks like they're let in. But anyhow, um, they, they forced their way in they nonetheless got into parts of the Capitol that they weren't supposed to be in, broke into several offices, and uh, created a lot of havoc, uh, created a lot of destruction. Um, this is all, of course, highly illegal, and, uh, and none of it was really um, did anybody any good. It was very highly um, counterproductive. Uh, particularly if you're from the point of view of a Trump supporter. Um, unfortunately, um, almost uh, true to form, uh, the left's anti-conservative bigotry has intensified in the wake of the recent tragic events at the Capitol. Although all American conservatives, true to the name, have denounced the violence that has taken place, the Democrats and others on the left have exploited the tragedy to consolidate their hold on America, especially through the curtailment of free speech of millions. They've deplatformed the president and they have less left tens of millions who want to exercise free speech without their preferred online forum, uh, namely Parler. Left emboldened by recent election wins, does this because they can. They seek power, and one of the weapons they use against all who disagree with their ideology is bigotry. Bigotry cloaked in righteousness. It is fair to call them what they are, bigots. Uh, a few months back, I published an episode of Liberty Relearn podcast that is definitely apropos to now. If you're a fan of the podcast or want to hear more on the subject, you can listen to more on the subject uh, on by listening uh, on your podcast source to the one uh, entitled Bigots. Uh, it was produced back in June. I think it was the last one uh, in June. So go back to around that time frame. It was episode 9, I believe. So please, if you haven't listened to it, or if you haven't listened to it since then, um, you know, now is a good time to listen to it, uh, to get a fuller understanding of um, how bigotry operates and how it's not just a uh, racial thing and uh, how the left is employing, um, well, for lack of a better way, uh, they're employing uh, tactics and exercising uh, bigotry. 
bigotry again uh, is defined by Webster's as uh, and I'm quoting here a person who is obstinately or intolerantly devoted to his or her own opinions and prejudices especially one who regards or treats the members of a group such as a racial or ethnic group with hatred and intolerance uh, and that is according to the Merriam-Webster dictionary and bigotry as the definition implies can be based upon any distinguishing characteristics of a group either race ethnicity religion or ideology uh, it's the latter one that I want to talk about now the bigotry that's based upon ideology or uh, political bent if you will and speaking of ideology the left now has a philosophical problem critical theory the idea that the powerful always subjugate the less powerful and would apply would apply to them once they ha have total power over the federal government which they will in just a few days so critical theory uh, it's also the parent theory of critical race theory basically the same thing only as it applies to race um, it also be called uh, cultural Marxism because it uh, focuses on the imbalance of power between any two groups or the dialectic um, as it's sometimes called in Marxist circles um, the left they have more power in academia the media and now in government they have exploited the imbalance of power in all these areas to forward their agenda and obtain still more power and control over the people they've exploited their superior position of power in big tech recently to silence opposing voices to crush their competition again uh, namely parlor of course in the days since the um, riots at the Capitol uh, the left has used kind of exploited this situation to basically launch a, you know, a pogrom against all Trump supporters all uh, conservative-leaning people uh, all Republicans um, part of that was for big tech um, apparently we don't know for sure but apparently big tech has colluded uh, this, this would include um, you know all the major social media outlets such as uh, Facebook Twitter of course all of them um, plus um, Google by the way of Google Play and Apple uh, both uh, removing the parlor app from their app stores and also uh, Amazon took the extraordinary measure of completely driving parlor off of their their web servers
course right now as I record this uh, parlor is unavailable there's no way to get to parlor uh, parlor seems to be dead although um, the people the owners of parlor and the investors in parlor um, they are working hard to get that app back up they're currently uh, suing Amazon to get their uh, their uh, app reinstalled or reinstated um, and in the meantime they're trying to get a uh, kind of a restraining order against Amazon uh, prohibiting them from any further interference with their servers until the matter can be adjudicated and so that's where we are we're at there in the meantime all those tens of millions of people who were on parlor parlor by the way was the number one app being sold in the app store uh, in google play and in the apple app store uh, it was the number one app and course uh, Twitter um, apparently didn't like this um, so a really I don't think you have to be very cynical to believe that really this is just an excuse to take out the competition and it has been suggested um, well, I guess we'll see some proof if there is any um, as the lawsuit goes on but a lot of people suspect since the timing was so perfect that it seems to have been a coordinated attack against Parler because they had all of these different companies uh, that act together to uh, Twitter, uh, Google Play, Apple App Store, and Amazon all uh, seemingly working in concert to drive uh, parlor from the internet and of course they deplatformed the president they eliminated a chief competitor they impeached the president I'm talking about the left in general now uh, how they're using their power um, they're doing all this because they can again that um, that creates an interesting philosophical pro problem for them um, in, in a weird kind of way because their whole philosophy is based upon uh, kind of that Marxist uh, Hegelian uh, Frankfurt School idea of um, this imbalance of power and that uh, the weaker side will always be subjugated by the stronger side of course we can probably all think of instances where it's not true sometimes the weaker side takes advantage of the other's strength uh, I would think ideally that there's always kind of a symbiotic relationship in every uh, power disparity there's there's usually some sort of symbiotic relationship where each side gets something out of the relation than they can and of course these relations can be you know out of balance um, 
one side and and yeah it could usually be most likely the more powerful side or the, the two sides could also flip-flop uh, as we have here so we have the uh, left uh, with their critical theory believing that the more powerful will always subjugate the less powerful that's kind of inconvenient for them now since they are more powerful they're more powerful as I said in media academia and in a couple days on the January 20th 2021 they're going to take control of Congress and and of the White House and there will be an imbalance of power between Democrats and Republicans between the left and re and right and between conservatives and uh, non-conservatives uh, particularly the liberals and but actually the left so in a way they're actually validating their theory but not in the way I think they would want to is because they're proving that that the weak will subjugate or the, the strong will subjugate the weak and the the, the uh the strong will always exert their power over those who are weaker and of course being weaker also an area of silicon valley those people uh, in amazon and in google and in uh, uh, also all the social media pro uh, platforms uh, facebook and, and twitter and the like uh, there's an imbalance of power and they're exploiting that imbalance of power uh, with those other uh, entities such as parlor who are trying to emphasize free speech and so in a weird way they are indeed validating their own central theory of uh, their, their own critical theory which is also the, the the parent theory of critical race theory and of course there's another component to what they're doing uh, this is a show of force meant to intimidate people uh, out of supporting Trump or the Republicans or any of his party and basically their idea is to marginalize anybody who may have supported Trump, especially the more vocal supporters of Trump. But they also uh, kind of try to uh, fire a warning shot, as you will, at the rest of us who don't subscribe to uh, the leftist doctrines. Those of us who are libertarians and conservatives who are interested in personal freedom and responsibility those of us who uh, believe in the Constitution, um, those of us who believe in natural and human rights, um, in in all cases and not just um, in certain cases. But what they are effectively doing um, by this, by driving away people from Twitter and Facebook. And 
and stuff like that. Uh, I can tell you from personal experience that uh, it doesn't take much to get your rights restricted from Facebooks or they would say privileges. But anyway, um, for ridiculous things that you know need not go into. Um, maybe you have your own story, but I know a lot of my conservative friends have been in Facebook jail, as they say, and and it's usually for something that should be innocuous and it should be something that um, that Facebook should not be concerned with. Um, you know, it's not advocating for anything illegal or. Um, really anything like that you know if you're if you're you know, advocating for uh, committing a crime you're playing crime um, obviously something like playing a terrorist attack or something like that online would be something illegal and should be banned and of course that's what they're trying to make it seem like you know they're, they're trying to make it seem like the average Trump supporter is is uh, some potential lone wolf terrorist and they're greatly exaggerating the threat uh, you can see that uh, you know from the fact that they're going to have like 25,000 National Guardsmen uh, guarding the the parade route or the or the uh, inauguration ceremony in Washington DC I think it's a little bit overkill I don't know what they're they're actually worried about I mean I'm sure there's been some sort of credible threats but ones that would um, require 25,000 troops I think that's overkill I think that's theatrics a lot of it uh, it's meant to paint again the uh, Trump supporters as some violent terrorist offshoot uh, the exact equivalent of like Al Qaeda or ISIS, which of course they're not. Um, you know, like any group of people, any large group of people, you have some splinter groups or some other overlapping interests that may do violence. Um, I think we've seen plenty of that uh, from the left um, over the summer with. The radical BLM groups and Antifa groups, um, you know, when they were um, at the White House trying to break down the White House fence, White House fence, uh, I believe that was in uh, sometime in June, I believe it was. You know, when when back in the early summer of last year, when they were trying to break down that fence, and they had. Uh, the police, the park police there and the Secret Service holding them off for hours and hours on end. You know, I'm just wondering what what do the left and what do the people accusing Trump of insurrection, mounting insurrections, uh, think that those people would have done had they been able to breach their perimeter and, and knock down that fence and get over that fence. What do they think they would have done uh, I think, um, you know, I don't think that they would have stopped at taking selfies or removing a podium from the White House. Not to say that, you know, any of that stuff that happened in 
the capital can be justified. But, you know, if you're going to have, if you're going to call one in, an insurrection and you have an uh, almost identical scenario, and the only reason that that scenario didn't equal or surpass the one in the capital is because there was more protection at the time. Uh, there were more police at hand, more secret service at hand. Uh, and there was already a stronger fence around. So there's more protection. Um, but for that protection, you know, what do you think those rioters would have done? Um, I think, you know, you know, it, I don't think they would have stopped at the kind of damage that we saw at the Capitol. And again, not justifying that, you know, but if you're going to call what happened at the Capitol, uh, it's hard to not uh, talk about some of these people who are uh, besieging federal courthouses, besieging the White House, uh, things of that nature. It's hard to not call them insurrectionists also. And I don't think anybody was even charged with insurrection from any of the vault, any of the things that happened in the summer. Um, and, and a lot of them very plainly say um, that they're, they admit to being insurrectionists. They're self-proclaimed insurrectionists. Um, of course, from Antifa, some of them are self-proclaimed insurrectionists. And they consider that you know, on the left, you know, while Trump was uh, president in particular, you know, that was like a badge of honor, you know, being, being calling yourself an insurrectionist. So I wonder what happened to all those people. Why, you know, why this newfound, apparently newfound uh, fear of insurrectionists um, when we've been facing them really, arguably, um, all of last summer, most of last summer. Um, so I think um, that's something we'll probably, um, if the uh, if the impeachment trial goes through, um, I don't know. I don't understand how it has or how it can, according to the Constitution. You know, the impeachment process is for an, an acting president, for the president. Um, Trump will be on, you know, at, I think at 1 p.m. I think it will be, or 12 a.m. or 1 p.m. or, anyhow, before the day is over on the 20th of January, Trump will no longer be the president. So, you, know, you can't, you can't impeach a private citizen. So I don't know how that's going to work. I mean, obviously the, the House is already done their part um, I believe you know they've already uh, submitted their intent to impeach but I don't understand how constitutionally you know you have an impeachment of a president you know the constitution says the president not just a president or a former president so I'm not sure how that works constitutionally but they're going to do that um, but um, just getting back to uh, what the left has done, um, you know, they've won a, a couple of elections, and now they they feel very emboldened, and of course they've taken all of these drastic actions 
uh, deplatforming the president and and kicking Parler off the web and and things such as this and uh, deplatforming de other prominent conservatives and uh, shadow banning, uh, taking away their supporters, um, Twitter, a lot of um, figures in, in the popular in the conservative world um, say that they've lost thousands or even tens of thousands, tens of thousands of their online supporters on Twitter. Twitter says this is a normal thing, but uh, I think they'd be hard-pressed to show where uh, equivalent groups on, you know, from the left way. So, um, what all this leads to is the deep the deplatforming and uh, the kicking off of different sites and removal from social media is uh, shunting people into uh, what Holocaust historian Edwin Black refers to as the digital ghetto or the algorithmic ghetto where conservatives are sequestered in corners of internet cut off from meaningful contact and communication with others of varying ideology. Uh, so in other words, they are uh, being forced off of these platforms that uh, heretofore anybody could be on and express their views. They're being kicked off of that platform uh, and they're being told that they have to make their own uh, platforms kind of, you know, kind of a separate but equal arrangement. Um, and speaking on this on the Glenn Beck program recently, uh, Black at the end of the show said very, something very interesting and, and really kind of ominous. Uh, he said, and I'm quoting him, uh, we need to understand that right now People are following the step of identification, exclusion, and confiscation. An allusion to how tyrannical regimes such as the Nazis systematically separated out of favor, out of favor groups from society, uh, took their freedom, took their possessions, and uh, in some cases, actually end up taking their lives. So, I think there is some inherent danger in doing this, uh, and it's it's the mentality, what I would consider uh, the evil mentality, the malevolent mentality of some of these people on the left, uh, and they're doing this kind of. Uh, not just in on the internet, but in real life, uh, there's people talking about uh, sending Trump supporters from to uh, re-education camps like they do in China. So, uh, you know, anybody who's a dissident who doesn't follow the program in communist China is sent to what they call a re-education camp, basically to be brainwashed into following the, the communist system. Uh, and it's, it's very similar 
also I, I believe it um, I forget what it's called but one of the mysteries mentioned in uh, Orwell's 1984 um, was also set up around you know this brainwashing and breaking of the individual so that um, their mentality not just to break the individual but to break the ideology or the thinking behind it and that's what we have now we have people like AOC uh, Robert Third Reich um, from the Clinton administration and uh, Obama ally uh, saying that uh, there should be a truth and reconciliation uh, group which I think is code for uh, basically um, you know a kangaroo court that uh, um, Trump supporters uh, you know uh, members of Trump's government and presumably anybody who support Trump would be uh, ostracized and publicly shamed for their support of Donald Trump and so you know if I if you removed all of the labels uh, from what I was talking about and, and I removed all the names and, and just told you what one side was doing to the other uh, I think that you would probably call even people who consider themselves Republicans uh, or liberals and on the left I think if you describe to them what was happening they would tell you and they would be correct that is some it was some sort of fascistic uh, totalitarian kind of move autocratic move that is being done and if you subscribe uh, these actions to say uh, Donald Trump they would unhesitatingly, I'm sure, telling you tell you that it was uh, fascistic. So it's not like these people don't know right from wrong. It's that they don't believe that their side is wrong when they do those things, and that is a critical problem. And of course, that gets back to our original theme. Of bigotry uh, these people believe that their ideology and indeed their morality is superior to those of the Trump supporter uh, the Republican or the conservative um, they believe themselves to be our moral betters and uh, of course they they you know lack no contempt for ordinary organ people who may have supported Trump because you know he seemed to listen to them seemed to be interested in solving their problems you know maybe it was the coal miner in Pennsylvania or West Virginia or maybe it was somebody who was concerned with all of these wars maybe they had a son or daughter serving in the military and didn't want them uh, away from home and possibly dying in some you know godforsaken place and there are people with genuine concerns and there's people who wanted jobs and people who 
only want to uh, make a living. You know, these are the people now, like the restaurateurs uh, nowadays, who are fighting their barely hanging on to their businesses uh, amid the COVID-19 epidemic and what the a lot of these blue state governors and mayors have done. Um, so you have all of these groups of people who were basically being ignored. They felt that they were being ignored by the system. Uh, Democrats and Republicans alike and until Trump, Trump uh, brought them into the fold. Now these same people are being accused of being um, well, traitors, um, revolutionaries, insurgents, and uh, all of these things, Nazis, and all of these foul things. And uh, that, that all is being driven by bigotry. Um, these people who dared question the authority, the people said, you know, we don't like the way things are going for us. Uh, we're going to hold you responsible, you know, you politicians responsible, and we're going to vote for the person who seems to be listening to us, and for those people who seem to be listening to us. Um, but that, of course, interfered with their, the Democrats and the left's uh, quest power. And so... The left um, Democrats came up with all of these things that I've mentioned, calling them Nazis and fascists, uh, without any you know regard to the truth or historical truth. Most of the people um, online that I've heard um, calling people fascists, um, sometimes even calling me a fascist, have no idea the historical context of fascism. Uh, and when you tell them the, the the historical context of fascism and say this is what fascists really were and what they really did and oh by the way fascism is on the left it is a collectivist ideology uh, it is a form of socialism it is a offshoot of socialism that just happened to be rival of Marxism at the time but yeah, the the uh, idea of fascism definitely comes from the left, and you explain it to these people, and you give them the historical example. You read them the definition of fascism, and how fascism actually worked in real fascist countries such as Italy, Germany, uh, and Spain during the the twenties, thirties, and forties in the twentieth century. Uh, you explain all this to them, and you explain how fascism is uh, you know everything in the state everything of value inside the state nothing of value outside of the state and you tell them that you know that sounds exactly or a lot like what uh, some of their ideology is and you tell them that you know when you see Antifa uh, keeping people out from speaking, keeping conservative voices or even liberal voices, certain liberal voices from speaking at like college campuses, they don't realize that that they those people are imitating 
what indeed the black shirts and brown shirts of Italy and Germany back in the 30s and 20s, 30s and 40s, what they did. Um, so they're acting in incredible fascistic ways and you tell, you explain them the parallels between what's going on now in the century and what happened back in the 20th century and show them and they don't want to accept that. They don't want to accept the truth of what they're telling uh, because they are they are invested, they're emotionally invested in their bigotry. They don't realize that they are indeed bigots. And then they claim to be tolerant, but they're anything but tolerant. Um, so, and these people um, now, unfortunately, are ascending the power, uh, at least in this country. And of course, as this country goes, you know, many other countries go. But they're ascending the power now, and as I said before, you know, they are living out their own critical theory, which was there. That's supposed to be what drives them to do that. Uh, their critical theory saying that the powerful, powerful will abuse the powerless. And of course, now that they don't realize that, hey, now that they're, they are now the ones with the power and indeed they are abusing the people um, with less power. So in a kind of perverse way, they're actually um, validating their own twisted philosophy, which is, I think is quite interesting. So I think we can um, leave that discussion for, for another time. I think we're, we're obviously, unfortunately, just at the beginning of this anti-democratic, anti-conservative, um, anti uh, libertarian pogrom. I think we can count on that going for a while. So, unfortunately, I think we'll be uh, revisiting this issue again, probably time to time. Um, and, unfortunately... Um, you know, there will be uh, new and more more drastic ways that we will be talking about drastic measures that they've taken. But um, that's in the future. Um, I don't believe in indicting people for things that they have not done. Um, they say, you know, get, let's give Biden a chance. But um, we know that Biden, if he executes uh, some of the uh, programs, some of the ideas that the far left want, far left of the Democrat Party want, uh, things are going to get real bad, uh, probably going to get real bad real fast as they consolidate their power. But we'll give him a chance. Maybe he will show some backbone and, and be a little bit of the moderate that he was sold to us as. Uh, but we'll, we'll see. So not going to convict people upon what they might do, but just draw attention to that so that we can be alert and be ready for it if and when it does happen. And so one of these ways 
which I've mentioned, which the uh, left has abused their, or misused or abused their newfound power, uh, is how they've remade, removed uh, different platforms, different online platforms. Uh, they deplatformed, of course, the president and probably all of his cabinets. Uh, some prominent conservatives, I'm sure more are to come. Uh, I'm just waiting for our turn on the list. But anyhow, that will deal with that at the time. But uh, also that um, that they the, the the biggest thing so far that they've done was kick parlor off of the internet. And uh, the idea was, well, you know, if you don't like how Twitter is, then you know, you're this is a free country, free market. You can build your own Twitter, and so that's what they did, and that, well, that's what Parler is, or was, or we don't know if was, you know, past tense, past perfect tense yet applies, but that's the case with with Parler. So the people interested in free speech went over the Parler. Uh, but that wasn't good enough for them. They want to destroy Parler under the apparently false pretense that Parler was being used to uh, to promote violence um, and to communicate people with, between people uh, who want to, like the people at the Capitol, who who were, who were up to no good. Um, you know the. You know, but all of the people so far that they caught at the Capitol, uh, I don't think any of them were at, on Parlor. At least none of the ones we know of. Uh, certainly none of the ringleaders. Now, meanwhile, you had a lot of violence being orchestrated and uh, planned online on, on other platforms, such as Twitter, um, I believe Facebook, I'm sure. Um, but definitely Twitter was used to uh, organize and promote some of these um, uh, demonstrations that turned violent. Uh, some of them, you know, some of them, they, they, they flat out called for violence in some of these cases. But uh, Twitter, you know, Twitter has not, you know, Amazon hasn't uh, kicked Twitter off of their their um, off of their servers, um, but I think there's a lot more evidence of Twitter doing what, what they accuse Parler of doing, which is organizing uh, violent political protest. So I think we all know that that was just a pretense um, to get rid of Parler. Um, it seems. I think we'll find, as I mentioned, you know, that there may have been some collusion uh, that would support the idea that these companies are a monopoly and have monopoly power and need to be broken up um, because they're, they've gone beyond what the legal definition, you know, they've, they've, they've become the legal def definition of monopoly and the opinion of a lot of people out there. Uh, so we'll see. And but they did uh, kick 
kick all of those people, the president and a lot of people off of off of the uh, off of Twitter and off of Facebook and different like almost every social media that you can think of, they kicked them off of there, and they denied Parler any space on the web. And with and that brings me to my next topic of you know when someone tries to defend denials of free speech they like to say the first amendment doesn't cover private corporations that is technically true the amendment only governs the actions of the government this is a red herring as the right to free speech does not come from any government it is an inalienable right that comes from God. No government or entity can bestow that right on you. It is yours from birth as a free man or woman. The framers knew this. That's why upon closer inspection, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights describe what the government can't do, what activities, rights, it can't deny its citizens. They believe that certain rights among these our life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are given by God, and therefore no man, not even a king, can claim to give them, for they are not theirs to give in the first place. The only thing a government or private entity can do is take that right from you. If they do it without your consent, without due process, then the taking of that right is tyranny, period. And so as an aside, uh, when the left asserts that health care, for example, is a human right, they are basically claiming that health care is an inalienable right. Sound familiar? Notice that they don't mention the Constitution as the source of that right. If the Constitution then who or what is? The government? Humans weren't created by any government, so the answer must be the creator of humans. So then, they expect you to believe that you have a right to health care that requires the services of others, by the way, that comes from on high, but your right to free speech is somehow a function of some corporation, some unelected group of men. Ask them, why the difference? Who has determined this? Funny how they get to determine that some rights are human rights while other others only exist if they come from the government and only apply with regards to said government. That's pretty convenient. Um, so, you know, why is it that, you know, they, you know, the same people who want to, you know, I love these, it's hilarious when you hear these newly minted uh, constitutional experts uh, talk about the Constitution. Now, they didn't worry about the Constitution was being violated uh, with regards to election laws during this past election. They didn't worry about those, that part of the Constitution. But they're uh, more, you know, they're ready and e eager to quote the First Amendment at you and, and point out that doesn't uh, apply to private entities.
Um, but then when it comes to something like healthcare and you know, now they've branched out to food and housing and anything you can imagine, that's a human right. So how is it that you have a right to health care, which, which you know, requires someone to do that for you, so that would be considered a positive right, um, but not free speech? Um, so how do they explain how they got that right to health care? And how, they, you know, can they explain why health care is a right? And free speech isn't, and who made that determination? Uh, we know, uh, according to the founders, their philosophy that that followed in part the uh, philosophy of John Locke, uh, some of, and some of the other Enlightenment philosophers that said, uh, particularly Locke, said that uh, man's natural um, state is a state of freedom and what government does is restrict those freedoms but uh, and he bases upon the idea um, particularly the, the Judeo-Christian idea that men are born uh, with free will and that that's what separates us from other beings like the angels who do not have free will there they have to serve God uh, we mortals, on the other hand, have free will, um, and that it could be considered a gift that the Creator gave to us, since the, our Creator, He gave us two things. He gave us life, of course, and the other most valuable gift, arguably, that a Creator could give His creation is the same sort of of rights, the same sort of free will that he has. Uh, because, you know, if there is a creator, if there is a God, of course that that person, that entity, would have ultimate free will to do whatever they want. And so the ultimate gift that they can give, uh, besides, you know, the existence and consciousness and sentience, the other gift, the other ultimate gift that they could have which I believe would be equal of value to a sentient being would be uh, the gift of free will. And that's what uh, people like Locke, uh, John Locke argued uh, in their treatises. Uh, John Locke argued this in his treatise about governance uh, and his other philosophical works. And of course, John Locke was an influencer upon the Founding Fathers and the framing of the Constitution. So, when the people, just to, just to explain how this works a little bit more in depth, um, the framers of the Constitution, when they wrote the first Ten Amendments, they, it talks about, well, the Constitution in general talks about basically sets up the parameters of government and limits what the government can do to its citizens. That's the whole, that's the main purpose of the Constitution, is to limit the government. And in that same spirit, when, it, when you have the First Amendment, it tells, tells what government can't do. 
It cannot infringe on the person's right to free speech. It cannot infringe on the person's right to freedom of religion, freedom of the press, freedom of assembly. It cannot uh, infringe on your right to uh, bear arms, uh, on your right to be uh, secure in your possessions and free from uh, unwarranted search and seizures. So it tells, it's all about uh, negative rights. It's telling you, it's telling the government what it can't do to its citizens. The presumption is that citizens already have these rights. These are natural, inalienable, inalienable rights that come from God. And therefore, um, it would be wrong for God to, or for, wrong for government and presumably any entity take away these rights um, and also you have the idea of uh, positive rights and this would be like people who assert the right to free health care or a pony or a chicken in every pot and a car in every garage you know these would be examples of positive rights that call on the government or other people to do things or or provide services and goods to you um, and, and so it's interesting to see that when when the left talks about rights it's almost always uh, about positive rights what somebody else has to give to you or do for you and what the founders said that took a completely different tack and said this is what the government can't do. You have these rights. You, you were born with these rights as a free man or woman. And we're going to ensure that the government can't take away certain rights, certain actions or activities from you. And that's how we get the Bill of Rights. So when, when someone argues that it's the First Amendment um, and that... that private car corporations can do things. You know, I would argue that your right of free speech, well, it's inalienable. So it doesn't come from the government. It comes from God, if you believe in God, or it comes from the Creator, or what have you. But in any event, uh, citizens are, human beings are born with these rights. And so therefore, theoretically, um, some people, someone born in France or even China, they have these rights to free speech too. And that's what we talk about for them. Um, when we complain about them violating human rights, uh, we do mention the right of free speech and a free press among those rights that we fight for. Um, things that we would fight for, like someone like Nikki Haley in the UN, for example, would fight for these rights. And then, of course, among these rights would be uh, freedom of expression and things like that, freedom of assembly. And so I think we went over uh, plenty now. Um, I just want to money also, uh, you know, talking about these free white free free these rights, these freedoms, and these liberties that are being taken away from us uh, at an accelerating rate, it seems. And I don't think that they're, they're done yet. 
I think that they they're not done uh, shunting us off into some digital or or algorithmic ghetto as um, as black would put it um, so that so they're not done the tech tyrants are not done um, so we have to resist we only have so many non-violent non options that we have but one of them is probably the most effective and that is just not to support these companies that don't support uh, freedom of speech okay and for example Amazon um, probably don't need to buy from Amazon um, most cases on the web you can buy directly from the the store a lot of stores have a web presence and you can buy directly from them you don't have to go through Amazon and of course if you're getting uh, using Amazon for your entertainment well you know there's plenty of other avenues to get entertainment from uh, you know there's Spotify um, there's all sorts of uh, competing interests when it comes to entertainment so you don't have to use Amazon for your entertainment I think you can do away with them particularly in that area fairly painlessly maybe not so much you know if you're addicted to Amazon shopping you know but I think um, you know that's that's an addiction that you can uh, break yourself away from I think relatively easily and of course there's Apple um, that kicked uh, kicked the uh, uh, parlor off of their Apple Store. Um, I don't think there's you know Apple also has a plenty of competitors. Uh, used to be if you wanted a good cell phone, they had to spend like three hundred dollars or five hundred dollars, but that's no longer true. Um, you can get a phone for eighty dollars that does like ninety eight percent of what an iPhone does. Uh, maybe ninety nine percent if you get a really nice Android phone. Um, so you don't need that. I, you know, you can do away with Apple products. Um, and then there's uh, you have other companies such as such as Lowe's. Um, Lowe's is the number one ad buyer for Google. Uh, Lowe's and Amazon are the number one and two um, ad buyers for Google and of course Google through Google Play denies us the ability to uh, download the parlor app and so I think you know these t tech tyrants um, should be taught not to bite the hands that feed them so these are some ideas of some uh, positive ways that we can regain our freedoms um, because you know, we have to exhaust all of the, of course, the, all of the non-violent ways at our disposal. And these are a couple of the major ones. You know, you have these companies uh, shaking in their boots when the least bit of you know someone on the left from the from the council culture complains. So, time for them to shake in their boots for us too. So again. Um, look us up on the relearn.com and Facebook.